the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. I am Seth Liebson. As we head into Hour 3, it's a delight to bring back to our airwaves Professor Mark Bauerlein. He is the author, most recently, great book, important book, The Dumbest Generation Grows Up, From Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults. He is an emeritus professor of English at Emory University. He is an editor at First Things Magazine. I guess if you'll forgive me, Professor, sometimes knowledge comes to you when you absorb it rather than when it's first disseminated. And I was going through an issue of the Claremont Review of Books from the summer, summer 2022, and I just stumbled on your essay, Furnishing the Mind. And it's fantastic. I mean, you get into some of this in your book, but it's about cultural literacy, Edie Hirsch and the revolution he sort of kicked off in 1987. So thank you for being with us. Thank you for your, all your great work, sir. Uh, thank you, Seth. I'm glad to join you and glad to talk about the, the work of E.D. Hirsch in, in education and why it's so important. Yeah, this issue of cultural literacy, I have to say, you open up with um, with kind of a, a, a recount of what was taking place in 1987 in education, uh, almost a generation ago, that was the year of Alan Bloom's closing of the American mind. But it was also the year of this book um, that many of us in education, many of us uh, were fascinated by, cultural literacy, what every American needs to know, by this professor over at the University of Virginia, E.D. Hirsch. I have to tell you, though, when I read your essay, Furnishing the Mind, at the Claremont Review of Books, it put me in mind of something Alan Bloom did talk about in his book. He had this wonderful phrase, the furniture of the mind. And I wonder if that was on, on, on it, something you were thinking of when you were writing this essay. You know, Seth, you're, you're right. I hadn't thought of that. But I bet the Claremont editor <laughs> who chose the title for the essay, I bet they were thinking of that because Alan, Alan Bloom is, is important to them. And he, he's important to all of us uh, conservatives. He really founded the, the, the gong in 1987 with the closing of the American mind. And everyone knows that that book was really about the, the degradation of intellectual life on campus and really the withdrawal of students from the big questions, the meaning of life, the nature of death and morality and, and all, all the important issues that one hopes they go to college to try to clarify and refine. And Bloom's book was a blockbuster. It was a huge bestseller. It was everywhere. Uh, Bloom became a celebrity himself. He was on TV all the time. And there was this other book, however, that came out at the same time. And it was almost as big a bestseller mm -hmm. as Alan Bloom. But it wasn't about higher education. It wasn't about the university. It really was about the importance in lower education right. in elementary school and high school of trying to build cultural literacy in all young Americans. Mm -hmm. And by cultural literacy, he just meant general knowledge, not necessarily deep knowledge of things, but kind of a background familiarity with things like 
the U.S. Constitution, the French Revolution, the Renaissance, the Reformation, a little bit about Socrates and Plato. And Hirsch's contention was that he was speaking as a liberal Democrat. That's right. He, he, was, he, was, he never voted Republican in his life. But his idea was that if we do not give young people a solid base, a base, not again a, a deep and, and deep dive into things, but sort of a broad base of history, some good literature, some great ideas, the masterpieces from the past, the, the big figures that have helped form American culture, society, civilization, then we end up with a population of people that don't know very much about their own country and that are not capable of exercising the duties of responsible citizenship. And he was progressive in that he said, upper middle class, wealthier kids, they do get this stuff in the private schools and in their homes. Mm -hmm. Kids in public schools and lower income homes single parent homes, they don't get this. Yeah. And that for Blue for, for Hirsch, that lack of cultural literacy actually keeps them down. Yeah. They don't do well on standardized tests. They don't make it to college in this knowledge economy that was spreading in the eighties and nineties so much that the loss of a core curriculum the absence of great books, the absence of civics, the U.S. Constitution, and so on, which the progressives created, are actually anti-progressive. Mm -hmm. They were reinforcing class separation. They were preventing poor kids from climbing the ladder. Yeah. And this is what drove Hirsch crazy. And he had, he had research to support the importance of background knowledge, which would help you do things like getting a good score in reading on the SAT, because a lot of those reading passages would presume a little bit of background knowledge. When you go to freshman year of college, and I've said this to students before and an educator, if you go to freshman year of college, you have to take some general ed courses like U.S. history course. Mm -hmm. If in high school, you didn't get much of the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution, the Gettysburg Address. You didn't get any of the Federalist Papers, none of the Supreme Court cases. And you're sitting next to a kid who did. You are at a sore disadvantage. You're going to do poorly in freshman year, and you just may drop out. Mm -hmm. That was Hirsch's idea. We've got to give lower-income Americans the intellectual equipment to compete and, and 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 the progressive education multiculturalism Hirsch said is actually destroying the cultural literacy needed on the part of these kids that's really right we don't really that's right we don't really speak the same language broadly anymore because we don't really share the same language about the culture so in a way and i'll return to that in a minute if i might professor but in a way sure. this is really the tale of three books 
if Alan Bloom is talking about our walking down the ladder or falling off the ladder, the things we used to know that we don't anymore, we stopped teaching, uh, Edie Hirsch's book is about how to get back up that ladder, the things we should know. And then comes your book, The Dumbest Generation, The Dumbest Generation Grows Up, kind of kind of a, a description of what happened because we – we 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 didn't take E.D. Hirsch's advice. Is that fair? I think that's I think that's entirely fair. In the in in the lack of a core curriculum, mm-hmm. a settled body of knowledge that all Americans should possess, the teachers didn't have any kind of counterweight to the digital technology, social media, pop culture. All the all the all the silly music and, and and movies. What did they present to the kids as an alternative mm-hmm. to that? Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to talk about diversity, and we're going to we're going to talk, you know, about about this contemporary novel. I mean, one thing that Hirsch said: if you're teaching all this contemporary stuff, if you're on today's social issues, the kids are not going to have the historic understanding mm-hmm. of things. They they are not going to be able to see today's radicalism in the light of the French Revolution. Right. right. And we know how that ended, don't we? Or the Russian Revolution. They won't have the equipment to assess the world around them in an intelligent way. Now, the thing is that you said that uh, 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 this breakup of core knowledge is is really bad for America, and you're right. But the the elite, the elite kids, they still have it. So, yeah, that's what I want to pick up. In the private. Yeah, I want to pick up with you on that. I have to take a quick break here, Professor. I want to pick up on that point because I'm wondering if that is decreasingly the case, if you will pardon that expression. I'm wondering if de- if increasingly the elites are dispensing with the best our culture has offered them as well. Let me take a quick commercial break and come back on that very point with you. Our guest, Professor Mark Bauerlein, his book just out this year, The Dumbest Generation Grows Up from Stupefied Youth to dangerous adults. We're talking about a, a cultural lingua franca, if you will, things we're all supposed to know based on E.D. Hirsch's great work, Cultural Literacy. I'm Seth, and he's Mark Bauerlein, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I am Seth Leibson. It's a delight to have with us uh, Mark Bauerlein, Professor Bauerlein's book, The Dumbest Generation Grows Up, his most recent book, The Dumbest Generation Grows Up. But we're talking about an essay he wrote for the Claremont Review of Books, um, the fur- Furnishing the Mind. It's about cultural literacy, a book uh, another uh, professor wrote at the University of Virginia, What Every American Needs to Know. And I think you're quite right, uh, Mark, to say that um, – that the elites uh, have always been able to access and have access to the kinds of the education that um, their parents and their grandparents and their grandparents' parents had, uh, access to the best wisdom accessible. I'm wondering if that's um, decreasingly the case. There was an uh, a piece Naomi Schaefer did in the Wall Street Journal a couple of years where she was interviewing 
uh, E.D. Hirsch. And he said to her, the culture is up for grabs and elementary schools are the culture makers. And I'm wondering if we're to take Alan Bloom's critique, right, the closing of the American mind. He's writing about what our elementary schools teachers aren't learning anymore or don't want to know anymore, the multiculturalism stuff. And I'm wondering then, too, if that has flowed down towards, you know, the elite schools and the elite families who may not know the difference between Aristotle and Plato or Shakespeare and, I don't know, Byron or something like that. I'm just wondering if it's all getting tossed out now. I think you are probably correct in saying that this core knowledge among the elite itself is deteriorating. Yes. Uh, What we see among elite kids more and more is not an emphasis on knowledge uh, in the schools, but an emphasis on the skills, the tactics, the habits that help not that help them make them better citizens, not that help make them love their not uh, get married, have kids, and form strong families, be committed to their neighbors and their neighborhoods. No, we that they focus more and more on SAT skills mm-hmm. so that they can read that passage and they can answer the questions about it because they get the they get the test. Uh, the, the test consultants, the tutors who can show them. Now, if you get this kind of question, Yeah, yeah, yeah. They this. pay the tutors to know how to game that system for them, right? Exactly, right. 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 Or they and, can and, and or so, they can pay, uh, yes, pay for SAT yeah. help, right. Mm-hmm. And, and so a lot of these elite kids, I'll tell you what I've seen is they're very good at the techniques of writing a research paper. Mm-hmm. But you know that they don't they don't want to think very deeply about the subject by and large. They're ambitious. They want to get into the graduate schools, the professional schools. They're not terribly interested in uh, in, in in learning about the past, about history. I mean, so what is that going to get you right. when you when you, when you go out into the world? Is that going to help you get that? get that great internship on the hill yeah that old question uh, why do i need to know this you must be frustrated with that as a teacher too many times right that question yeah yes and and the i think i think Seth, we see the impact of that in in our society Mm -hmm. today i mean this is what hirsch really argued right if you don't have a core knowledge taught in the school and he thought it was very important that a certain set of books be read by everyone mm-hmm. you need to have not not all the books you can have differences at the edges but there has to be a core set of books ideas events that all people in a society know and if you don't have that if you don't have a core knowledge then you're not going to have coherent society you're not going to have a shared social condition you're going to have fragmentation. You're going to have the kind of tribalism that we see today. We're going to have factions and interests with no common civic base that everyone can agree upon. And my feeling is 
this is what the progressives want. Yes, to yes, do yes. All along. Yes, yes. This, this, we, we talk about disintegration as if it's a bad thing. Not in their eyes. Right. I mean, this is revolutions happen when people are a little destabilized. When the culture is fragmentary, when maybe things seem a little a little chaos. I mean, never let the you know never let a crisis go to waste. No, right, right. You kind of close your. I'm, you don't kind of. Sorry for that, doctor. <laughs> you close your essay by saying today is year zero, and I wonder if that's what you're getting at. I remember same year, 1987. Tom Wolfe wrote the novelist Tom Wolfe wrote a famous essay called The Great Relearning, and he starts by talking about a movement that Ken Kesey founded in the 60s called Going Back to Zero, uh, trying to unlearn everything we had learned as a civilization in some weird part of San Francisco. And surprise, surprise, you know, people were getting diseases doctors hadn't seen in 200 years, you know, because they were trying to unlearn. I wonder if that's what you mean a little bit when you say today is your zero, or if you're getting at something else there. Well, I, I think that uh, unlearning is a term now that a lot of progressive activist students will use. Mm-hmm. They have it, it is now unlearning is now a a method of education mm-hmm. that they have they have adopted from their progressivist teachers and theorists. I mean, what is the sixteen nineteen project, right. Beth? But Unlearning, 1776. And it couldn't come from a more elite organization, the New York Times, right? (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. And getting massive endorsements and and, and support from, you know, all all the the liberal foundations. So, yes, unlearning is really a case of removing whatever shreds, remnants of tradition that Students have acquired in their homes or or in their classrooms. We're gonna we're gonna fix it. We're going. I mean, this is re-education in, in the good old fashioned. <laughs> yeah, that that's right. Then. And and let me let me let me take another quick commercial break, Professor, if I might, and pick up on that that issue of re-education and success. I also want to ask you a question: If I should worry about a conversation I had with a couple high school seniors in a very leafy school here, a very nice suburban public school to be sure, but one in a very high-paying neighborhood. I'm going to ask you about that when I come back, too. Let me take a quick commercial break. As I go to break, let me uh, put in a pitch for one of our great sponsors, Y-Refi. If you're worried about stock market volatility and you could invest in a portfolio with a strong fixed rate of return that has no correlation to the stock market, you want to check out my friends at Y-Refi. They're offering an investment in a secure and collateralized portfolio with an up to 10.25% return for investors. The investment can be in an IRA, a trust, joint investment. It can be an individual investment, any of the above. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm, as I say, made up of great guys do really well. They're doing good for others, and you can be a part of that. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com, or give them a call at 855-316-3087, 855-316-3087. Never a sales pitch. I'm Seth Liebson, Mark Bauerline, author of The Dumbest Generation Grows Up, From Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults. He and I will be right back. 
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I'm Seth. We're talking to Dr. Mark Bauerlein. He's the author of The Dumbest Generation Grows Up, From Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults. Mark, um, I was having a conversation with two uh, high school seniors in uh, one of the best public schools in, if not Arizona, certainly the Phoenix area. And they come from a very good family. And I was just I, – I gave him a Mark Twain quote for some reason or other. It was the Mark Twain quote about cat sitting on a stove versus a man putting his hand on a stove. And I said, you guys know who Mark Twain is, right? They didn't. They didn't. High school seniors, very nice suburban high school, didn't know the name Mark Twain. Should I feel worried about that or should I feel like I'm 90 to be worried? You know, sometimes I worry am I becoming a 90-year-old old grandpa that's troublesome or is it not so troublesome or is it indicative of everything you're talking about? Seth, you should worry, you should fret, you should feel distressed at this, uh, the loss of one of the great writers in, in all of American history. When Mark Twain died in 1910, the New York Times had three days of stories about him. They even found his old boyhood friend, who was the mob for the character, Huck Finn, uh-huh. to have him talk about Mark Twain. <laughs> it was a national event. People people would say, it's hard to imagine America without him. Yeah. Well, that tells you right there, Seth, the problem with Mark Twain. Yeah. He's too doggone American, and yeah. we are global now, pal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, really, we got to stop thinking about it. American, no nationalism to go along with the education. And there's, of course, an added problem with Mark Twain, right? Yeah. Yeah. The N word yeah. is in his novel. Yeah. And we're just not going to have any of any of that. So he's, he's, he's out. He is, he is out. Huck Finn, one of the great novels in, in the entire English language, is gone. We can't read it because it has the N-word in it, even though it is a very moral novel. We would consider it very moral on race issues. Oh, yes. It doesn't matter. It oh, doesn't yes. matter. These, these people who are pulling Huck Finn out, they, are, they have crude sensibilities. Yeah. These are not people capable of complex examination of difficult moral issues. They're not inclined for it, and they don't have the the interest. They don't have the knowledge mm-hmm. for it either. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things I found in, in my travels in education circles is that a whole lot of people involved in making standards and curricula, they're not that well educated right. themselves. Right. Right. They're not that well. They're not that well read people. They don't care. They don't know it, so they don't care. And if you, you tell them, you know how important Mark Twain was to America. Nah, doesn't matter. You this wonder what they fill that okay. with, right? You wonder what they fill that with. And I'm going to bet you dollars to donuts, Professor, they're filling it with other texts that also have the N-word, just used in a different context. I'm betting you. I'm betting you. They want yeah, more, more, more contemporary stuff, yep. more yep. relevant, yep. As, as it says. Uh, of, of course, you know. Anyone who can't find relevance in the great works of, of the past is a dolt, mm-hmm. or is just, is just lying. Uh, but they fill it with, I mean, what is happening to humanity, Seth, is yeah. 
we've lost the aesthetic analysis of eloquence, beauty, profundity, right? And instead, we filled it with social issues. Yeah, and activism. And, Today's stories are about, did you see it? Uh, I guess a couple environmental activists must be about 18 years old throwing oil on an original Van Gogh. You said, right, this this is what's more important. Not Van Gogh, but the oil, right, to destroy Van Gogh. It, 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 it's stunning. It's Van Gogh's sunflower right. uh, painting. Right. And a couple of young people who, they don't know anything right. about the history of art. They don't know, they don't appreciate this. Civilization means nothing to these people. They take for granted all of the privileges and the prosperity that is all around them because they have no sense of the full sweep of time. Don't you know how good you've got it today? That, that is such a key point, Professor. I don't want to break it and lose it. Let me hit the quick commercial break and pick up on that because it really does get to the subtitle of your book, uh, your book, The Dumbest Generation Grows Up, subtitle, From Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults, the importance of understanding the context of history, time, leading you to appreciate how great you have it or depreciate the best time in the history of the world. Let me let me pick up on that with you, uh, Mark Bauerlein, when we come right back. I'm Seth. He's Dr. Bauerlein. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Such a privilege to have with us uh, Professor Mark Bauerlein, uh, emeritus professor at Emory uh, University. The Dumbest Generation Grows Up is his book, From Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults. Professor, you were talking about the um, the inability for students, for young people to appreciate where they are in the world today because they have no context of the history of the world. Let me Let me throw two things at you and ask you to assimilate them. If I if I might, um, the first thing I want to throw at you on this point is the Rolling Stone magazine. Some years back, you may recall, put a picture of one of the Boston Marathoners on uh, bombers on the cover. Uh, one of the Tsarnaev brothers. They interviewed uh, one of his teachers at a very elite school, and the teacher said um, the problem with this generation is, quote, they're blazed on pot and searching the Internet for any factoids. He knew what that word meant. They're blazed on pot, searching the Internet for any factoids that they believe fit their highly dehistoricized and decontextualized ideologies, and the adult world totally misunderstands them and dismisses them and does so at our collective peril. Thought one. Thought two. C.S. Lewis in The Abolition of Man says that by not teaching children the important things, we leave them open to be propagandized when they're older. We're close to that point, aren't we, Professor? You know, you, you give them nothing, they're going to fill it with something. Yep. You don't, give them, you don't give them God. You don't give them family. You don't give them patriotism. These are the deep faiths, right? Yep. The profound commitment. They want that. The soul desires it yearns for the big thing to to worship and be, yeah to, to believe in worship right same thing right keep and going and mm-hmm. they're gonna they're gonna find something else racial justice right climate change environmental justice and and so on and you're 
you know, what the teacher said, the historic yeah, size. Yeah, and, yeah. And that, that's where they are. And what we need to do is get, we need to rehistoricize them in a very personal way. For instance, we need to tell them, look, you guys have a very strong group identity. You feel like you're part of a movement. Let me tell you something. If you were living in Tidewater, Virginia, all of you 20 kids here, in, in the year 1850, all of you would have been pro-slavery. I guarantee it. If you were in Munich in 1938, all of you would be cheering at that Nazi parade. Mm-hmm. Let's, let, let, let's get off your high horse and think that you are figures opposing standing up for justice and, and opposing the powers that be. You are followers, right? You are, you, you are tribal. Yep. You are incapable of going against the herd. Mm-hmm. And the herd is going in this direction in your world. If it were going in another direction, you'd be going in another direction. Let me tell you, 50 years from now, there are going to be young people just like you who are going to look back at you <laughs> and denounce you <laughs> for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of historicization of them right. that we need to do. Hit them hard with that fact. Yeah, it's it's an interesting point, this, this thing you're focused on or that you centered on in your response, something to believe in. Once upon a time, you know, the American story or really the sweep of the history of Western civilization it was a strong and and serious thing. Um, it was it was something to fight for. Certainly, the Patriots of seventeen seventy six. Certainly, the Patriots of eighteen sixty one. Uh, certainly, the greatest generation of the nineteen forties. They understood this strong thing that they believed in America. They may not have used the word the West or Western Civ or the Western idea, but that's what it was. And we seem to have smashed that bottle. And uh, we look around, you see Americans, uh, you saw this a little more in the, in, the, in, the, in the early aughts, but you see Americans uh, coming from lives of privilege, sons of doctors who would sign up and join up with Al-Qaeda and later a little bit ISIS. And it, it, it kind of dawned on me, it's not happening, you know, in droves, but here and there, we've smashed a bottle of something that kids, you know, need something to believe in, something to strong, strong to fight for. We've told them Western Civ in America is crap, and uh, the Bin Ladens of the world did give them some strong medicine to believe in and march for, right? In a way, they filled a vacuum. You know, uh, the liberal way, Beth, is don't, don't judge. You know, let, let, let people yeah. alone. Let them do their own thing. You know, let's 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 not push too hard our convictions. That's the way we avoid conflict. But look, that doesn't inspire the eighteen-year-old. That's right. Who who craves a belief? That's right. And they look at they look at they look at Islam. Those are true believers. Or a gang, maybe maybe at, a gang. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they, exactly. They look at the hard left. Right. They believe these are the hard left is very. Moral. Yep. They are moralistic. Or the gang. Yep. This is something to be part of. Yep. Right? It's a bigger life for you, and you can defend it. You can sacrifice yourself for it. 
Well, these are, these are again, these are, I, I believe, these are false gods. Right. You're going to the wrong places for a very natural disposition on your part. I understand that, but this is not the way to go about it. This is not going to satisfy you. This is not going to work. You are going to find that this woke revolution that you are signing up for and committing to, it's, it's not going to please you. It's a humorless, joyless, vindictive activity. And it may, it may satisfy you for the moment when you can march into that president's office with a glum look on your face with 10 others, and the president gets down on his knees and says, please, please, what can I do for you? I'll do anything. Yeah. That, that can be intoxicating. But what about the next day? Mm-hmm. What, what is the lasting commitment yep. here? Right. No, you want more. Right. You're never going to be woke is never satisfied because that's, there's always so much more to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Uh, you, you're going to declare war on nature. Mm hmm. Like the difference between men and women. Mm-hmm. That's your next target. Do you really think that's going to work out for you? Hmm? What, what is what is it going to be when you're 40 years old? How is life going to look for you? Is that still going to be your commitment? So, so I'm, I'm afraid we have a generation now of millennials. They're now well into their 30s. And they are sour. They are disappointed. They're bitter. They feel they've been betrayed. They've been robbed in a way they have been, and the liberal elite has no answer for them. There's no answer that they're going to get out of the college president or the Democrat politician, not one that's going to satisfy them in any long-term way. Well, Professor Bauerlein, you're just such a gift. I could do three hours with you. Thank you for spending your afternoon with us. Thanks for your work. Um, The Dumbest Generation Grows Up, From Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults is his book. Mark Bauerlein, B-A-U-E-R-L-E-I-N. Sir, have a great weekend, and I look forward to our next visit. Thank you, Seth. Glad to join you anytime. You betcha, sir. Thank you, sir. I'm Seth Liebson. Be right back. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon, some of your week with us. Much appreciated. Hope you have a great weekend. It's just reflecting on some of the stuff Mark Bauerlein and I were talking about and the import of teaching the theme that we keep coming back to here again and again and again, durables, the durables being important, not necessarily the new and the new fashion, the um, ephemeral, the fleeting, but the serious and the good which requires, of course, a knowing, a knowledge of what is serious and what is good. There's an arrogance, isn't there? Uh, There's an arrogance in the revolutionary who wants to dispense with everything from the past. There's an arrogance to Marxism or the neo-Marxism that says we will destroy everything good, we will build something new, we will start from zero. All the learning until now has been worthless, or at least worthless to what we are trying to do. Well, what is it they're trying to do? What is their end game? Well, perhaps the end game is in what I kind of try and describe here when I talk about the frenzy. Marx had a phrase for it, the permanent revolution. The permanent revolution where nothing is settled, nothing is final, nothing is durable. 
it's why history is important. It's why literature is important. It's why the great works are important. And you notice we dispense with them as we started doing so about a generation and a half ago. And here we are 30, 40 years later looking about us wondering why we have men without chests. Well, we've removed an organ. Some of us still demand the function. Plato closed his uh, play, The Mino, saying all learning is unlocking that which we used to know. All education is teaching that which we used to know, giving the keys to the locks to our collective memory. I don't know. We do our best here, don't we? I try. You try. And we will continue. Uh, Some of this is culture. Some of this is politics. Some of this is what we were talking about with Lee yesterday, that bloody crossroads where they intersect. But it's all important. It's all our territory. Folks, until Monday, have a great weekend. I'm Seth Leapson. God bless you all. Class is dismissed. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.